0: Imagine a place where students use media, creativity, communication, and critical thinking to make stories come to life. A place where authentic audiences are enlightened by the kids who live there. Hawk Media Productions at Kealakehe Intermediate School, located in Kona, Hawaii, is an example of that place where students strive daily for the summit. From school broadcasts, HIKI NŌ stories, community spotlights, and NOW podcasts, Hawk Media Productions hopes to inspire other schools to get involved in meaningful learning in the community and the world. Believe it or not, all schools have the students, teachers, and community partners to be the spark for what school could be in Hawaii.
1: Hey, everyone. This is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rapun. Today, we're doing another on-the-road episode of this podcast series, where we seek out interesting, imaginative, innovative, and creative people in education spaces and capture their stories. Today, I will be talking with two lifelong learners affiliated with Hawaii Kids Can. A little bit later in the show, I'll be talking to the executive director of this very special advocacy group. Hawaii Kids Can advocates for the success of every Hawaii student from pre-K through college and career. They are working hard to improve policy to help all students thrive. Executive Director David Miyashiro and his team are also working to share promising practices and stories to demonstrate that all kids can succeed. Hawaii Kids Can has four guiding stars, if you will Innovation, multilingualism, options, and excellence. More on these stars a bit later in the show. With me today are Phoenix Valentin. Did I get that uh, pronounced right?
0: Phoenix Mameti Valentin.
1: Valentin, got it. Okay. And David Bunam. Got it. Got it. Welcome to this conversation. I know that this idea is pretty goofy in our digital age, but um, let's say that you're part of a pen pal program. I mean, who does pen pals anymore, right? It's all digital. Um, Where you get connected to someone in, say, Iowa or New York or somewhere else, and you're writing your first letter. I know, I know, we don't write letters anymore. Um, um, I guess it's going to be an email or it's going to be Facebook Messenger or something like that. And your first paragraph describes yourself. So, um, Phoenix, what would that, per- that first paragraph to your new pen pal say about you?
0: Hi, new pen pal in Idaho or New York. <laughs> I'm Phoenix Mameti Valentine. I'm a OEV filmmaker, which means a native filmmaker of Hawaii, and I'm a homeschooler and a lifelong learner.
1: And what is your kind of sense um, of, like, who you are and where you come from?
0: My sense of who I am is that I am a Kanaka of Mokuwa Waianai, the district of Wai'anai on the west side of Oahu. And I take in my cultural heritage through Mo'olelo storytelling or the Hawaiian language. And where I'm going is I'm going to remember all of the things that I've learned and contributed to my filmmaking in the future.
1: Awesome. So you're a product of place, you're a product of culture. Yes. Awesome. David. What is your first paragraph going to say?
2: Ooh, okay. Um, I just open up with a quick introduction. Aloha, my name is David. I'm from the island of Oahu. Um, but then I jump a little bit more into, like, what makes me tick. i say something like, um, my upbringing has always exuded non traditionalness
1: And what does that mean?
2: Well, ever since I can remember, I've always done things weirdly or just differently. Um, Ever since, like, elementary, intermediate, high school, it's never stopped. Like, I know one time I would do my homework on the ground in my class just because I'd work faster like that. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know why, but my teacher decided to get a couch after that.
1: You you think there might be a connection?
2: Possibly. (laughs) Possibly. Maybe.
1: So you were just lying on the floor, and that's where you felt comfortable doing your your homework. Yeah, I just
2: do whatever makes me feel comfortable.
1: Right, right. And what is your sense of place here in Hawaii? What is your sense of kind of Oahu and where you come from and what this place means to you?
2: Can you elaborate a little bit more on place?
1: So, you know, we're talking a lot in education now about place-based learning and culture-based learning. And this is in response to a more traditional way of approaching education that sort of strips out place and culture mm-hmm. and actually asks students to amass a bunch of information and then you have to account for it. Mm-hmm. Test and paper, test and paper, that kind of thing. And now we're starting to look more and more at how place and culture influence the learners who are in the classroom. So mm-hmm. in, in what ways does the island of Oahu kind of inform who you are or who you were as a student?
2: I guess Firstly, I think that place and culture are one of the most important things to like learning and making learning um, more effective, um, more innovative, and just like, exuding creativity. Um, personally, to me, I have always aligned myself with ideas of sustainability mm-hmm. um, and just balance, because I feel like those are tied directly to where we're from. We're from Hawaii. We are on an island. So that means that resources are limited, and we have to keep things going. Mm.
1: So if you're if you're tied if you're or if you're interested in sustainability, if that's something that um, is um, an idea that you want to pursue and and know more, how could you not be connected to place and 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 sustain uh, uh, an inquiry, if you will, into sustainability? It's super interesting, and Phoenix in what ways um, specific examples possibly maybe as a specific example of where place has really informed who you are as a learner
0: well I feel like Hawaii is a unique place demographically and climately and our learning here is no different and when you come from Hawaii you have different ways of learning like multi-generational alongside your Kapuna your makua, your and your kai kua ana or kai Kaina your grandparents your parents your younger siblings or older siblings and you have all of this feedback and perspective mm-hmm. from these different generations when you can learn together and it's sort of just integrated and hand in hand and I feel like I'm going off topic of what the question was it wasn't really no, not about education was right.
1: it? you know no and, and and in fact I did a on the road episode just recently with a guy his name was Dan Kinzer and he he did a round Oahu walk, 140 miles, and um, he did it over two weeks. And what he was looking for was what he called the genius of place, that he yeah. felt like everywhere he went on this island, it, as he circumnavigated it, he found intelligence everywhere. And it seemed to come up through the soil and up through yeah. the people. And, that, and that's what you're describing, is that there yeah. there is a, there's kind of a, a smartness about who you are and where you come from and your place.
0: Yeah, in Hawaii I found that there's an makahana you know, ike learn through doing mm-hmm. and that's very active in the students in Hawaii where if you have a passion you go out and you actively pursue it. Right. And then when you learn something there's also a kuleana to it, a responsibility, a privilege and honor that you share it with the next opportune learner.
1: Right, right. So I want to jump um, into Um, your work with Hawaii Kids Can, and I want to start by talking about your WAVE program. So WAVE stands for We Are Voices of Excellence, Mm -hmm. and it emerged as a small pilot at Farrington High School um, two years ago. Um, Today we will be um, talking about WAVE's second cohort, Um, the first to be statewide, um, the second to have Teach for America teachers participating in the process. Um, So we're thinking about, I've been, I'm thinking about examples of student learning um, by doing what you just referenced a second ago um, through WAVE. So um, Phoenix, tell us more about WAVE. What's it all about?
0: Well, WAVE is a student advocacy training program for high schoolers such as myself. They teach us the legislative process and give us outlets to the community or directly to the legislature where we can share our student voice. We meet, like, roughly once a month and help out in the community and mentor future leaders.
1: And David, what's your take on WAVE? What, what if you were to give the 30-second elevator pitch to somebody, you know, across the street from us right now at Whole Foods, um, and they said, oh, what's the WAVE program, what would you say?
2: Well, obviously, I think it's important to get out that, um, like, there are four main, like, pillars of multilingualism, um, education, options, and excellence. But I think one of the big things to push is that um, it's about options, like highlighting what Phoenix was talking about. Um, through the uh, Wave mentors and all the facilitators, they all have like unique uh, experiences and skill sets that help us like, connect and meet with different people throughout mm-hmm. the community, uh, locally and even globally sometimes.
1: So Phoenix, what are the ways that um, the program actually Engages you in this idea of learn by doing because you're you're in the legislative process. Mm -hmm. You're learning that process You're learning how to work within it. What is the learn by doing process that Hawaii kids can uses to help you navigate that?
0: Oh, yeah, WAVE has been really awesome in the two years that I've known them They've given me so many opportunities like how I actually first met them was being a part of a student-led candidate forum and Where I got to speak on that and since then, I've been able to go and speak in front of the board of education for community board meetings at Nānakuʻi Public Library, and um, the Student Youth Summit at the Hawaii State Capitol. I've been on panel and written for testimony for HB 406, one of the many bills that they've introduced to me. It supports student internships in Hawaii. And basically, what I'm trying to say is that they learn through doing processes. If you have an opinion they'll find a venue for you to share it with the community or with the legislature on whatever you deem important.
1: So David, it seems like um, there are two parts to this, as Mm -hmm. as I'm learning about it right here in the moment. Part one is the navigation part, Mm -hmm. literally the nuts and bolts of how do you navigate a situation like that. And the other part is how do you gain confidence to navigate that as you go through? Because obviously coming into it, right from the get-go, from the start, you're not gonna have that confidence. So you're an alumni of the program, um, and you're also a facilitator. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about those two parts.
2: I guess like as an alumni, you kind of experience more of a leadership role as well as like with the facilitator role. Um, It's more about um, taking the lead on activities and trying to guide conversation to kind of reach a certain point of explaining a new concept or idea to hopefully hit like a breakthrough moment. Okay.
1: And then what about the confidence part? Is, mm-hmm. there, is there anything specific in your work as a facilitator where you actually lock in on what it takes to become more confident in navigating the process?
2: Directly, no. But indirectly, a lot actually. Mm-hmm. Um, some things about confidence is that confidence can help clear a storm. If you are unsure or if you show doubt, wow, then great idea. your audience, your consumers, your, your youth will feel that doubt. So if you stay steady and you stay strong, then everything will smoothly flow together. Even if it's like a storm in the background.
1: Right. So Phoenix, do you recall any moments of all of those events that you described a second ago? Where you felt what David is talking about, where there was a moment where you just knew you had to grab onto that confidence and move your way through it.
0: Well, personally, I like to plan what I say before I get there, but I have like I have a nervousness when I find approaching a situation. Like I feel kind of nervous right now, but it's basically just knowing what you're going to say or knowing what is true to your heart that you want to let other people know and just mm-hmm. getting it out.
1: Have there been any moments? Where you've been in a testimony situation or in a hearing of some kind, where you felt like the moment had become a bit of a storm, like David is describing, like the voices were getting loud and the, the the emotions were getting heated.
0: Yeah. Well, personally, I've never testified in person. I always write indiscreetly for my testimony, but I do know that feeling, and it's just finding finding a way to clear the storm and find the epicenter of what it is that is true to you. Mm -hmm.
1: So Phoenix, we, here in the state of Hawaii, you know that one of the things that we've been talking about a lot over the last few years is student voice. And I'm super amazed by the energy behind this conversation. And um, Ted Dintersmith, who's the author of the book, What School Could Be, which inspired this podcast, What School Could Be in Hawaii, has identified Hawaii as one of the places where student voice is really, really starting to take hold. Mm-hmm. So I think for a lot of people who might be listening locally or, or nationally or even globally, they're not quite sure what student voice is. What So what does it mean to you?
0: Student voice is basically just an opinion that the student has on an issue. It can be in school, it can be outside of school. It can be something that they feel is important in our Reddit are not readily prepared to actively go out in the community or to whoever they need to address and share their voice.
1: And what's, can you remember, or uh, can you think of a specific moment um, where your voice, you realized that your voice was present and was being accounted for by the people that you were with at the time?
0: Well in so many instances I, I've i come to find that adults really appreciate when children share their opinions with them about education like at the board meeting I mentioned at Coolie Public Library after I like read past the bullet points in my head and set out what I was trying to say there was a pretty big applause and a lot of people came afterwards to say wow I'm so glad that we had someone who's the Board of Educators and we actually had a student there to share their testimony because everyone else was well, like past 18 and maybe like the working force of the school system.
1: Mm-hmm. What was the issue that uh, you were testifying about that day at Nanakuli
0: Public Library? Oh, that day I was just saying what it's like to be a homeschooler in Hawaii and how it is to receive education and to give back in the community and my partnership with, Will, my inclusion with WAVE and, well, the things they've done for me.
1: And what is it like to be a homeschooler in Hawaii?
0: Being a school in Hawaii, you learn a lot of things in a way that a lot of people call unorthodox, where maybe you're not getting credited for it, but the knowledge is still valuable. Mm-hmm. You go out and you find places in your community, like you can just go down to the beach in Makaha and you'll find people with kubu, or you can make a bohaku, a rock to pound poi, or I'm in case scholars for college minded students and youth. And in the Community Learning Center, you can learn a lot about your culture. There's different ways that you can receive knowledge, and as a homeschooler, you just have a lot of freedom to go out there and find it.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you find that as a homeschooler, you don't have one teacher, you have many?
0: Yes, as a homeschooler, I feel like everyone in the world is my teacher. If you have knowledge that you can impart on me, I will readily receive it.
1: It's so interesting because this is what we're talking about in Hawaii right now, is how do we break out of the mold of this is my teacher, Mm -hmm. as if that's the only person and then how do we start looking throughout the community for people who can help guide, mentor, coach, facilitate, um, support us in if, if you consider yourself that kind of learner. That's super interesting. So David, what's been your journey in terms of finding your voice?
2: In terms of finding my voice, um, I guess to take a look at the beginning, it was, you couldn't really call it a passion point. At the beginning, it was a pain point it was it was aimed towards like the education system that was that was what i was mostly concerned about because i saw all these opportunities out in the world but i didn't see them being implemented in the areas around me i didn't see like these breakthrough project-based learning or place-based learning or i didn't like directly see it with my eyes but after i got involved with the scene and i made efforts to find people who do stuff with that, mm-hmm. find connections, uh, build on those connections. It really changed not only like my way of thinking, but like the way I saw the world. Mm-hmm. Just being able to find different opportunities that um, that move towards a better education system and really kind of break the mold of like what the standard can be.
1: Mm-hmm. So over the course of this podcast series, David, twelve formal episodes, uh, this will, I'm not sure what number this will be, but already there have been multiple on the road episodes. Mm-hmm. They've all been with adults, adult leaders, adult educators. Um, this is the first time that I'm getting a chance to talk to students. I would love for you to give your perspective on what defines project-based learning from from a student's perspective.
2: I have to take a second for that <laughs> that's okay uh,
1: hmm. and I'm thinking I'm actually thinking David that maybe the pathway to that to that response is through your experience with Nalukai Academy mm-hmm. that that's a way for you to explain it so you and I first met right while you were at, in the middle of Nalokai Academy which is a, a product-based place-based culture-based program here in Hawaii um, during the summer Um, So through the lens of Nalukai Academy, Mm -hmm. what's your definition of project-based learning?
2: Through the lens of... um,
1: What were you working on?
2: I was working on a startup that I created with a team of uh, three other people. And what we did was we wanted to create a platform where educators and mentors could connect to create um, different projects for their students, um, create um, create meaningful connections and build on, um, kind of like a partnership, um, where you get to work together to create something that not only increases engagement, but also aids in, um, teacher and student burnout.
1: Wow. That is an astonishingly layered project that you were working on. Because in addition to working on a project, you were also working on figuring out how do educators become more aware of what projects are and how do they work together or how do they get support mm-hmm. when you're going through it. Um, and so that process of project-based learning mm-hmm. has m- many angles to it, many mm-hmm. facets to it. And I get, So talk to me about that. What was that like? Go different
2: ahead. angles of project-based learning? Yeah. I guess project-based learning is really, really broad. It could mean many things because there are so many different ways of looking at one thing, one object, one idea, one concept. Um, from my perspective, I've always seen project-based learning as literally just having a project, having a goal, um, having a way or a way to find out how to reach that goal and having an end result. Um, but my perspective has shifted a little to kind of value something like product or place-based learning. Mm-hmm. where there's an emphasis on where you come from um, and those ideas influence how you approach the situation, how you approach the problem, how you even define what the problem is.
1: Sounds like you were building some, some soul, some spirit <laughs> back into the project itself, like you can have a very sort of, here's the, here's the product, you know, there's a MacBook sitting right in front of me, but in the process it sounds like you tapped into spirit, into soul, working together as a group. Um, so I want to shift a little bit now, Phoenix, um, about what makes education special in Hawaii. We've already sort of touched on a little bit, um, especially in terms of where you're coming from um, and how learning is perpetuated in our culture. So what makes education in Hawaii unique?
0: Education in Hawaii is unique because Like I said earlier, Hawaii itself is unique. There's so many different cultures and the diversity of where you come from and is perpetuated in our culture because, well, since we're in Hawaii, when you look in the Hawaiian culture, STEM roots back so very far science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And when you go out and you find, maybe you go to the Lo'i or you take up navigating, you see the science of it come out and you just learn piece by piece because culture is really tethered, and history is really tethered to our education process.
1: So so STEM, which seems to many people like a brand new concept, Mm -hmm. is not brand new at all. No, it's not. It's got ancient roots.
0: It is ancient all over the world, really beyond just outside of Hawaii, and that's what connects us globally. It's like, if you just look into your culture, no matter where you are, any ancient culture incorporates STEM, Mm -hmm. which I found amazing.
1: And David, what is your sense of um, the educational uniqueness all around us here in Hawaii?
2: In the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that sustainability and balance is a big thing. And I'm going to stick with that because mm-hmm. everything that we do is done with the idea to keep moving forward, to uh, perpetuate it, to make sure that we don't deplete our resources. And that, does, that doesn't just have to be um, environmental resources or physical resources. Um, that can also be things like human capital or um, um, economic resources. Um, there are so many different like facets of sustainability. It doesn't have to just be the land, aina.
1: And in your experience with Nalukai, and, and the other pitches, the other projects that were being worked on by other students and other student teams, did you see that coming? You know, to the surface, that that all of these unique approaches to things.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about it, and I think back on it, I definitely see um, little like nuggets or roots, or even some of them almost centered entirely around the idea of sustainability. Um, all of them had sustainable business models mm. where it was, it was sustainable economically. It could, this is something that we touched on, um, just making sure that you can continue to grow uh, monetarily so that you can expand and scale as business, but also making sure that it doesn't interfere with, um, with um, the land you're connected to, making sure you don't deplete resources um, and also staying true to the root problem that you're trying to solve.
1: Mm. So, Phoenix, what I'm hearing from David is that these these pitches that they were making, these businesses, these ideas, came from a place of sustainability. Like you got to start from. What do you What do you think about that? Yeah.
0: Um, before I answer, I actually went to Nalukai too, but I
1: went to <laughs> <laughs> Nalukai Waimea, which is why. I didn't oh, you meet did. You. Oh, wow! <laughs> this is fantastic. I've got two Nalukai <laughs> yeah. people. I. I Okay, great. So what was, so you were in the previous, you actually did it at Waimea. Was it Waimea this summer or was it the previous year? Waimea
0: this summer. This
1: summer. What was the idea, wait, wait, I'm going to come back to that in a (laughs) second. I'm all excited (laughs) now. Alokai times two. Um, What is your sense of that idea that David just talked about where you, you start from a place of sustainability?
0: Yeah, I saw that a lot of my peers, like David had said, they were a few of them they were invested in sustainability of the aina and just knowing that things don't get lost in the course of our modern lives like there are a few teams that were trying to preserve just the names, the Hawaiian names of things in the forest or animals and just making sure that if you're curious you have like something an app that you could go to like a lot of things do for for multilingualism but directly for the Hawaiian culture or just scientifically for plants and animals in Hawaii and I feel like education really is tied to sustainability because it comes back to balance the individual student if you don't have any balance in yourself mm-hmm. what is your waking life
1: and so since you attended Nalakai academy as well um, what was what's your definition of project-based learning for all of these people who might be listening to this podcast
0: Well, like David said, project-based learning is being invested in the project and learning from the outcomes that come while you're working on it. Mm -hmm. Like there were a lot of things that arised in the teams at Nolakai where we would be working on a project and then we'd be trying to find solutions and then we'd find them just by searching for them and by trying to integrate it to our particular dilemma.
1: And What was your team working on?
0: My team was working on a student mentor Sort of agency where if you had, if you wanted to pursue a particular field you would contact us and then we would hook you up with somebody in that field and they would take you on like an intern onto some of their jobs and you would, could learn from them and then from there once you gain all of the knowledge that you need we would then connect you with a local business person in need of your services.
1: Wow, extraordinary. So it's like a bridge, yeah. in effect. What, can you give me, a, do you recall a specific example of, of where a particular business could be one of those connections?
0: Yeah. Our original idea was that if you're interested in film, we would hook you up with a filmmaker, and you could go on set with them and learn audio and recording. And then, once you have knowledge, we would take you to a local business manager or someone in need of video service to advertise their company.
1: Wow, that's awesome. So I actually, I can share a quick story with you. I'm working on my second documentary film. And because when Ted Dintersmith came to Hawaii in May of 2016, at the end of his year-long tour after he debuted the film, most likely to succeed, one of the places that I knew I had to take him was YNIC Writer Digital. So we went there and we spent part of a day there and Ted walked away kind of with his hands up in the air saying, I've never seen anything like this throughout the entire United States. As a result of that, Long story short, I partnered with Rider to help make this documentary. And we're looking at innovation and education. And they're actually, we're a year and a half into that project. And we're getting very close to a draft of the film at this point. So I love the idea that you're describing here of this bridge, that I got bridged because of Ted to the Rider program. But how else, how, in, other, in what other ways could that happen? And how could we expand learning for kids to get them outside of the classroom?
0: yeah just like i said earlier i feel like the individual student needs to follow their passion just if you have a passion go out and find for ways that you can participate in it and there lots of bridges will open for you and lots of connections where you can meet people like how i met the wave gang and then i've been introduced to so many opportunities to share my voice
1: yeah that's fabulous and david i have to talk about your time at education incubator um, since that's what you're involved in right now, you're actually an, in- an intern yes. with the program. What is Education Incubator?
2: Education Incubator is a local nonprofit created around changing how and when kids learn because you shouldn't have to wait to be important or to do something important mm. or to make change.
1: And what's the process, like, what is Education Incubator's process of making that happen?
2: Um, A lot of times they do um, different trainings, they do partnerships with schools and organizations to work with youth directly in kind of facilitating the process of an idea and pursuing it.
1: And what's your specific role as an intern with the program?
2: As an intern, I've been kind of split between a couple of different um, kind of tasks. One side is like a project management kind of side. Um, I'm taking on some social media responsibilities, creating um, like a marketing... Um, a marketing plan, uh, researching that, and then just like brainstorming between um, all the members. Mm -hmm. And then another side is being more involved with the trainings, uh, working with the youth, uh, making sure that I can help facilitate um, and just take on any challenge that comes their way.
1: And I understand that you're already a graduate of high school, so you're in a, what we call, quote unquote, a gap year. (laughs) Um, And so this is helping you to understand where you might go, Mm -hmm. where the canoe takes you, and, and that's happening right now, right yes it's kind of
2: it's always happening like when I least expect it like um I guess thinking back, um, I've always took a step forward when I had no idea what was going on, mm-hmm. like for example, before I even graduated, like a month before I graduated, I was still completely unsure of where I would end up in the months following after um I have no idea. But then one day I was in an elevator and then right as I pressed the door, uh, Miki Tomita uh, from Education Incubator came in and then we kind of like uh, met up again. And then she asked me like, how I was doing, what was I doing over the summer? And she invited me to the, uh, it was a partnership of Education Incubator and Sultan Ventures to uh, create a, a business accelerator. And that, that yeah.
1: conversation led yeah. right, yeah. to your internship mm-hmm. with Education Incubator. And so clearly, the gods were looking after you <laughs> in that moment, right? Because if she hadn't been in the elevator, if the door hadn't opened right. in that way, yeah. And I, I just think, Phoenix, about the ways in, at your, in your Nalakai experience that you were actually trying to not wait for the gods to make it happen, to actually <laughs> make it happen purposefully, right? Yeah. That's what you guys were working on. Yeah, that's super interesting. So, um, as we come down to the end of this part of the podcast in a minute, I'm going to be talking to David Miyashiro, who's the executive director of Hawaii Kids Can. Um, I want to ask you a couple more questions. So, um, give me your sense or, or or what kind of advice do you have for youth who are looking for unique educational experiences Phoenix I'll start with you on that one
0: yeah well as a homeschooler unique educational experience happens to me outside of the classroom I do learn a lot online like on edX courses on main subject matter but if you go outside of the classroom like I said, you can go to the beach, you find kupu, you can just go out into the community. You can if you want to make film, I like to make film, you can find Hawaii Women in Filmmaking, and you learn different ways based on your passion. And yeah.
1: Hawaii Women in Filmmaking is an extraordinary
0: program. Yeah.
1: Um, and you've been a part of that?
0: Yeah, I've been one of their alumni for the past three-ish years, I think.
1: Have you worked on a film with them?
0: Yeah, I've been really fortunate. They took me on as an intern for season two of Rio Wahine in Hawaii, and that that was so awesome. I got to meet a lot of the famous women in the film industry in Hawaii. I think they're famous. You kind of know them if you're a filmmaker, and I got to learn from their experience and work with them and learn sound from them. Hawaii Women in Filmmaking has really been an amazing experience for me.
1: That's fantastic. And David, for you, What is, what's your sense of, uh, of advice or your advice that you might give to, to youth quote unquote, who are looking for unique educational experiences?
2: Two bits of advice. Um, I feel like two of the most important things to carry is that one, always surround yourself with the type of people you want to become Mm. and two, always say yes, when you can you will only close a door by saying no, but you will open an infinite amount of doors by saying yes.
1: Right, wow, that's super inspiring. Um, I've been, actually for me personally, I've been trying to figure out how to say no once in a while. Right, that's also important. (laughs) Yes. To keep that balance. Right, but yes has been an important part of the last three years. If I hadn't said yes to a friend that I met at um, a local store here in town, this podcast wouldn't exist because I said yes to him and he said yes to me. We decided to work on this together. So I I honor that idea of saying yes to things. Um, So I want to blend two questions together here at the end. One of them is, you know, in kind of in a single word, what would you describe? To be the the most crucial factor for creating an ideal education and that's a big (laughs) thought is an (laughs) ideal education but i also want to blend it with a question that i try to ask everybody that i'm inviting onto this show Um, it's a question built into the the um, title of ted's book what school could be so i turn it around and turn it into a question so what could school be so putting those two together phoenix like what could school be and what, what is that one word that might inspire people to think about that ideal education? Or policymakers that you might be trying to influence?
0: I think that the ideal education for any student is based around, like David said, the person they want to become and their passions, where you can actively pursue what you dream to see yourself in 10 years. If you love filmmaking, there's a filmmaking in your, filmmaking organization in your school. If you love art, you go out and make art. And the same for anything that you want to pursue. And for the one word, I would have to say inner peace. Because I feel like balance is very important for the individual. If you don't have balance in your mental, emotional well-being, your physical health, or your act- intellectual, academic stimulation, your connectivity to community, Those are four things I believe are key to balance in the student's life. Then, because each of them depend on each other and they're at their peak optimal performance, you're better for success. Mm.
1: So Phoenix, just for a second here, I want to do a little sort of role play or or a simulation. Sorry, curveball coming at you. Right? Um, let's go back to Nanakuli Public Library, and let's say that your formal testimony is over. And I've been listening to what you're saying here, and I have a I have a really urgent question to ask you, which is, as a board member, I'm now a board member, and I'm asking you this question during your you know after your testimony, your formal testimony, like how does the education community and educators and education leaders how do they find out what you want to do, what you care about, what you might be passionate about, what you might be interested in? How do we How do we go about doing that?
0: Oh yeah, well, the best way is to just ask, to go up to the students and ask, or to look at them and see what they like to do, or maybe the students come up to you and they tell you, "I want to do this. I think it'd be great if the school incorporated this." Hmm. And maybe you just go around and you find other ways or other schools that are contributing to what students want and you follow after them.
1: It seems like though that we're we're always pressed for time. Mm -hmm. We never have enough time to ask those questions. Why?
0: Well the days get busy and hectic like they usually do and sometimes students feel bashful or shy and they don't really want to go up and directly ask the head person of their school and maybe the head person of their school is too busy to come up to them. So it's just finding the way to gap, to bridge that gap. Like one thing at Nelukai that I remember they told us a lot was that if you want something, don't be ashamed to go out and ask for it and keep asking what you want for life, Mm -hmm. in life. Like they brought in a lot of amazing individuals like yourself and they'd be like, if you see him sitting alone at lunch, you go up to him and you ask him. That's what we're trying to teach you here at Nelukai
1: right and it seems like you're also reflecting on parents as well mm-hmm. and what parenting is is teaching kids to ask to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. if you're interested in something go tell somebody that you're interested yeah. in something that's very cool so David same question it's kind of blending together what could school be right. and also what's that one word or, or a couple of words that kind of pull it all together in terms of an ideal
2: education just like a play what could schools be schools could be a place where failure is not an F. Failure is not um, a failing grade. Failure is a frequent attempt at learning. Um, And I feel like to get to a place where you can create persistence, you can create creativity, you can engineer um, that process of thinking is where you introduce choice and you also supplement it with structure. Because choice, um, without any restraint, is chaos but structure in and of itself is just that it's structure it creates a factory line when you add them together you create something that's really beautiful where students can really become learners again and then they can take their education to their hands and have the guidance to move in the direction that is beneficial to them but also do something that meaningful to them. Mm.
1: So same situation, we're at Nanakuli Public mm-hmm. Library, and I'm the board member, um, and you're sitting next to Phoenix, and you guys have been testifying. Mm-hmm. This business of choice, like how do we find out, or, or actually, different mm-hmm. question, how do we redesign the day so that choice is actually possible mm-hmm. for students? How do we do that?
2: Mm. I guess it starts with looking at different perspectives uh, different education models, different ways to convey choice or to give choice back. Um, one of them could be project-based learning, which is a really nice segue. Mm-hmm. Um, project-based learning, there's not a lot you can do to take away from what you do for a project. Mm. Um, if you just keep it, you can guide a project, but you can't you can't put chains on it. Right.
1: Right. And Phoenix, Davin seems to be uh, echoing the same thing that you were saying a minute ago, which is if, if you want more choice, you've got to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And um, so you guys going forward are going to be advocating for these ideas as you go forward. And, and you're going to be doing it under the or in the construct of White kids can in the construct of WAVE and this program going forward. So I'm I'm just, I feel very um, honored to have had this conversation with you today. This is the first time that we've talked to students on this podcast. um, And I appreciate that you guys have taken the time to prepare for this conversation and to work with me on these questions. So um, everyone, we're going to take a short break and come back with David Miyashiro, the executive director of Hawaii Kids Can. So stay with us. If you want to make your own podcasts but feel intimidated by the tech barriers then you might need alitu alitu is a web app that lets you create and publish great sounding podcast
0: episodes it takes care of the complicated stuff leaving you free to concentrate on what you do best talking about your passion alitu the podcast maker
1: app find it at alitu.com that's a-l-i-t-u ucom
0: Hi, I'm Tyler Kern from MarketScale. We're excited at the arrival of a new podcast series out of Hawaii titled, What School Could Be in Hawaii? MarketScale is thrilled to be partnering with Josh Rapoon on this project and can't wait to hear the insight and thought leadership he brings to EdTech. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can hear it and others over at marketscale.com. You click on industries at the top of the page and then scroll down to EdTech. Hope to see you there.
1: Hey, everybody, we're back. This is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast, another on-the-road edition. We're back with David Miyashiro, who is the executive director of Hawaii Kids Can. David, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks for having me, Josh.
1: Your students that I spoke to a few minutes ago, wow, outstanding thinkers. I'm feeling very hopeful about the future.
3: Talk about a really tough act to follow, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best.
1: Awesome. So, David, um, tell us about the um, how you started Hawaii Kids Can, why, and and um, what is its mission and vision?
3: Yeah, so, you know, I'm actually a teacher at heart. Um, that's how I got on, into all this in the first place, as a special education teacher at Wahio Middle School. Um, so for me, you know, as a teacher um, at that time, you know, teaching special education, my second year of teaching was when uh, Furlough Friday started. So I remember that being a pivotal moment for me where I realized, you know, a lot of teachers you just want to keep your head down and not get involved in politics and not get involved in policy um, but you know whether or not you want to do that it'll find you right so
1: for people who are listening outside of Hawaii, mm-hmm. what was what was furlough friday
3: so essentially it was a budget showdown um which resulted in 17 days of the school uh, of the school year getting cut so um, but those are furloughs, so you know, you're barred from coming to, to work. So even if you wanted to open up the school, um, to, just to have a safe place for kids to come and hang out, you know, totally not allowed.
2: Mm.
1: So you brought Hawaii Kids Can into being, and you stood it up. Um, what was that process like?
3: Yeah, so um, after I uh, kind of went through that furlough Friday, Friday experience, I ended up being a um, professional staffer for Senator Maisie Hirono in Washington, D.C., and doing some political campaign work before coming back home. And so Hawaii Kids Can was really what I saw as a merging of those two experiences in those two worlds, where um, you know, you're trying to look at these big problems and big challenges from the perspective of an educator and as somebody who interacts with students all the time. But you're bringing the knowledge of this political system, right, and all the factors that make things sticky and complicated in the first place. And so Hawaii Kids Can um, really was my attempt to bring together those worlds, uh, empower students and community members to get involved in policy and advocacy, um, but at the same time stay grounded in what's actually happening on campuses and what students actually want.
1: Mm. And how did you go about uh, recruiting students to be a part of Hawaii Kids Can in the beginning?
3: Yeah, so I think you had mentioned earlier on, um, we started as a really small um, kind of program within a program at Farrington High School. But I think the challenge I was trying to solve for was what I saw as a political staffer um, was that for a lot of way, in a lot of ways, the traditional political system and the traditional education system are very similar, um, you know, kind of very much in the same design that it's had for decades. And, you know, in that design, um, the community and the voters are really only seen as that, as voters. Um, when you need the vote, you know, you'll see candidates out there, you'll see people knocking on doors and getting involved. But in the in-between, you know, it didn't really feel like people were asking the right questions of mm-hmm. what does the community want, what do they need? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, WAVE was a way to think about when we ask questions like why does Hawaii have one of the lowest voter participation rates in the country? You know, you can't just kind of scramble at the end and try to get students involved and get young people involved when they're old enough to vote. You have to build a culture of participation and a culture of engagement and trust and empowerment. And if you can do that, you can start to shift um, our, our broader landscape with how young people feel engaged and how they feel about being part of that system.
1: And what were some of the early challenges in terms of getting people to think outside that box that it wasn't just going to be a rally that you might attend Mm -hmm. or or a particular event of some sort, but that you're actually going to be doing this over the course of a period of time and that you're learning a bunch of skills and habits and dispositions around policy and advocacy? What were were some of those early challenges?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. and It's something that when I had started off, um, somebody had shared with me that um, the empowerment and mobilization are not the same thing. You can mobilize people kind of as bodies, and you can take kids to the Capitol, and put cute shirts on them, but that's different than building a relationship between that student and the political system and their representatives so that they're actually coming to the table as a partner and a constituent, right? And that takes time. It takes authentic, vulnerable learning uh, and really being able to build that trust with those students so that they can uh, find those voices within themselves. And so it takes time and, you know, I think, that's where we've been so fortunate to work with students like Damon and Phoenix and get to know them really over the course of years and see them grow as people uh, and really see them blossom and share their voice.
1: And how have you found the legislators? What, what's, what, what, have, what are the legislative reactions to having students not there? in the traditional way, just there holding a sign or something mm-hmm. like that, but actually they're very aware of what the policy uh, implications of whatever they're working on are and, and advocating for it. What's that been like?
3: Yeah, so for our first session um, back in 2018, our big focus was on more funding for computer science education. Mm. Um, we did a kind of a short report called "The State of Computer Science Education in Hawaii, 2018." Mm-hmm. We found that still half of high schools didn't even offer some kind of basic computer science course, uh, and yet we see that automation and global forces are changing our economy, our global economy, so rapidly that it kind of blew my mind that. You know still half of our school's students didn't have access to those courses and they couldn't speak the language of code and, and some of these critical things that are going to be necessary for students to know growing up. Um, so what we did is we, we worked with a teacher at uh, James Campbell High School to take a group of his students down to the Capitol um, during their spring break. They could be on you know, the beach, they could be out with friends, but they chose to come down to the Capitol and spend all day there meeting with legislators and sharing why they thought computer science education was a critical thing that all students should have access to. And what was so fascinating was that the students are incredibly perceptive. We would talk to them after each visit and they would share their, their feelings for that particular member. And they can tell when a legislator is really listening to them and when they're not. Um, and they notice who are those legislators who are writing down notes, who are asking good questions, right, who cared about the projects that they're doing in their community. Um, and I thought that was just so incredible to see those kids, even at that you know, 15, 16 uh, age range, to have the social intelligence, to pick up on all of these cues that adults, you know, if, if you're a professional lobbyist, you would see. But you know, I think a lot of, um, you know, unfortunately, our, our traditional education system, just like our traditional political system, you know, when you think about kids getting involved in things like advocacy or like legislation, you know, how do we set up a model uh, or a mock? Legislature, right, or a model UN, and those can be great programs. But, gosh, they can get out there and do the real thing. <laughs> right, right. If I want to learn how to play basketball, I don't want to give you know a book on you know this is how you dribble. Just get out there, try things out, fail. It's okay. Um, but that's where the real learning happens. I
1: think. I had my own issues with sort of the mock UN or the, <laughs> or the mock um, political or or um, you know any any of those processes where you were sort of going through a simulation. Um, I recall back when I was teaching at La Pietra High School for Girls, we put Abraham Lincoln on trial uh, for for, for um, revoking habeas corpus during mm. the Civil War, and I had a friend who was a Circuit Court judge, and he actually heard the case in his mm. in his courtroom. So my students came down and tried it in his courtroom, and he. Um, he was, it was so special, he actually rendered a verdict. Instead wow. of saying to everybody, well, you know, your side was great and your side was great, he actually came out and rendered a verdict. And mm-hmm. I just remember how real it felt for all of us in the room. Um, so that kind of policy work that you're talking about, it re- you really get real when you're doing it. Um, question about preparation for the yes. students um, prior to a moment like that. Um, what is that preparation like? What, does you, what do you and your, and your team do to prepare kids? How does, what does that process look like?
3: Yeah, so the WAVE program actually is a full school year long uh, curriculum where you're looking at the centers of power that exist in our community. So we always start them with um, really just advocacy to me is a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So we start them with something like a simple scenario where, you know, imagine a kid in your neighborhood is riding a bike home from school and they get hit by a car. What do you do next doesn't matter you don't need to know statutes you don't need to know all the mumbo jumbo that i think for whatever reason in te- in civic education we focus on the process really quickly right here's the electoral college here's you know how a bill becomes a law but focus on the action right and the thing that happened that galvanized the community mm-hmm. and be able to build out um, ideas around that right and there's no right or wrong answer advocacy You know, lobbying, it's all much more art than science. And so, you know, for each kid, it might be something different. You have kids who naturally gravitate to um, kind of being in the spotlight and they don't mind, you know, standing on a wall with a megaphone if that's what it takes. Or you have other kids who are introverts and they want to help out by, um, you know, coming up with really creative campaign slogans or they have a skill or they have, you know, talents with graphic design and they can create those flyers. And so our advocacy curriculum shows that there's no one size fits all. There's no magic silver bullet for making change. It's really understanding what is the best fit for you, creating a plan and then executing on that plan.
1: A lot of collaboration goes into the whole process and everybody finds what their niche is, what their role is as they go through it. So David, I know that this... um, this cohort that you've got going right now is the first time that you've had a statewide cohort. Mm -hmm. Um, So that feels a little different to me, just thinking about how that would work. So how is that different?
3: Yeah, so this is our first time trying um, a blended model where for neighbor island students, we're able to support them through um, Zoom video conferencing and through Google Docs. Again, simple products, um, nothing really fancy, but giving them a chance to come together on a regular basis, um, to talk story, See what they're working on um, and then trying to pair them up with real opportunities to fly them out and get involved. Uh, so we saw that happen recently with the um, children and youth summit so we were able to leverage some of the funding through that summit to fly students out from several different islands so they could participate in that day as well, meet their counterparts, um, and really get to build their skills in person too. So we're continuing to iterate. It's a little bit of a, a pilot for us this year to see you know, how smooth it is. But you know, it really started because I met a student, um, it was at the Hawaii STEM Conference, which is a great conference put on by STEMWorks. And I met this awesome student from Molokai High School, and we had never done neighbor island work with students before. But I was just so blown away by her that you know Aisha Heredia, who's our um, kind of runs all of our student programs, you know, we had a discussion, and it was basically you know, tell me why we can't do this because I really think this young person is important, and we need to figure it out. And I think that's if our education system can think like that. Right. If we can model that for the education education system, I think um, we'll find that a lot of kids have those assets as well.
1: That's very cool. So, David, I want to end this particular segment of this podcast by asking you about our Department of Education uh, 2030 mm. Promise Plan. And it's just a very simple question. If you were providing input and you were... Um, wanting to advocate for a particular set of promises that we might make to our kids, what would those promises be?
3: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and we've been lucky to work as a partner with the Department of Education um, to host a series of community focus groups, um, in addition with some other partners, including um, Elemental Accelerator, Teach for America Hawaii, um, Hope Street Group, um, to you know, provide the forum for community members to actually share, right? I may have opinions, but I think it's more important that the parents, the students, the teachers, you know, even business leaders can share their thoughts as well. But I think for me, you know, given that this is a 10-year plan, it's going to be really important that we build in, kind of as David was saying, some structure so that schools aren't kind of scrambling around, but also uh, freedom and flexibility. Ten years is an incredibly long time in education, right? If you think sure about it's... where our world was in uh, you know, 2009 and educationally in you know, all the things that have happened since then, you know, really the iPod even itself hasn't been around that long. Right. Um, things will change again uh, in so many different ways. So again, do we have the supports for schools to adapt to that, that change, but also the flexibility to think big? Um, And I I encourage the department to look at education is more than schooling, right? As Phoenix was saying, education is all around us. The community represents our teachers um, and our learnings. So is there a way that we can be creative? And if a student spends a semester working with um, a marine biologist, can they get science credit for that? Right? If there's a student who's a homeschooler and let's say they want to take a computer science course um, at a local high school, can they subscribe for just that course? If you think about the big changes that have happened economically and technologically, it's all about kind of this unbundling of services where folks can pick and choose what they want to get something that's truly personalized and flexible. And our system isn't quite there. It's not designed for that. It's designed, you know, for um, kind of a 50s and 60s model. But if we can start to shift it and think about school in this kind of unschool, unbundled way where the community is our classroom, ooh, I think we could do some really, really exciting things. So I'm excited, and I appreciate Dr. Kishimoto for creating this opportunity for uh, community members to weigh in and provide feedback to the department.
1: I appreciate that the superintendent is is asking for as much Mm -hmm. feedback as she has. It's been pretty remarkable. David, thank you for that challenge to our Department of Education and even to everybody in the state of Hawaii. And thank you for being a part of this episode today. David Miyashiro is the Executive Director of of Hawaii Kids Can, and uh, we are excited for what will happen for you guys as we go into the next legislative session, so good luck with that.
3: Thanks, Josh.